Are you an entrepreneur or a small business looking to take your brand to the next level? Then Visual Media is the service for you. Visual Media is a video production company who specializes in creating high-quality visual content for social media, websites, and online courses. Head over to Visual Media on Instagram and drop Resilience in their DM to get started. That's V-Z-U-A-L-M-E-D-I-A underscore to get started. What's up, everyone? This is Resilience in Action with Aaron Brown, the number one podcast for anyone looking to have a greater human experience. Hello, 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 everyone. We are back with another episode of Resilience in Action with me, Aaron Brown. And today, our very, very special guest is Andy Wells. Andy, thank you so much for spending a little time with us today. Hi, Aaron. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I live in the East Bay, uh, San Francisco Bay Area, and I've been here about nine years. I grew up in Southern California. Um, I work in the utility industry. I got there via um, a career in the fire service, and that kind of set me up for uh, emergency management and emergency preparedness. And so that's what I've been doing for a career uh, post fire service. And, um, and it's been, it's been a wonderful ride. I've got, I, I describe myself as a person who has every hobby because as a single guy, um, I've been able to have the time and, and the funding to, to pursue a lot of different interests as they have tickled my fancy. So I've, I've really been able to enjoy, um, to enjoy a lot of things in life that, that, um, that I appreciate. So, um, so I, I really, I really do in, I like to have fun in life and I like to learn. I didn't realize how much I liked to learn until recently, but my entire life is categorized by that. So that's me in a nutshell. Love it. Love it. Okay. So one of your hobbies, um, you're, you are an author. I am an author. I, about a year and a half ago, I published a book called Tried to be Straight, Options for Gay Christians. And it's funny, you know, I've done this a couple of times when people have asked me to, to describe myself. I haven't described myself as a gay man. Um, I don't think it, I, I don't know that it makes the top five things of who I am, but it is part of who I am. Mm-hmm. And uh, interestingly enough, I, I'm also a Christian man and I'm also a person who has been in and out of the ultra conservative fundamentalist evangelical uh side of the world and i have a master's degree from a from that kind of an institution in christian apologetics uh, which is the art of um of defending and uh explaining the faith of christianity so it's like why is it reasonable to be a christian and not something else that's what apologetics is all about. It's from the Greek uh, word apologia, which means answer or reason. So um, also, I'm very good at saying I'm sorry. So it's it's like one of my superpowers. So the, the master's in apologetics. So between a master's degree in apologetics from a non-affirming anti-gay school um, called Biola University in, in SoCal, that plus my experience as a gay man, I put it all into a book. I did a bunch of research. I've uh, um, and I and I did a bunch of interviews and I put it all together. And the, the book is there to answer the questions for all LGBTQ people and their allies and friends and the people that love them 
Um, what do you do when you're a believing Christian and you're also experiencing what some would call same-sex attractions, uh, what I call um, understanding that you're LGBTQ+. Love it. Love it. Wow. Okay. A lot to unpack there. Um, let's start from the beginning. Ah, uh, okay. I was born on a cold winter afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. I'm here for it. The, what, what, and I don't, and I don't want this to sound crass or anything, but what yeah. do you feel like for you? What came first? <clears throat> oh, between, um, as far as, as far as struggles or as, as far as you, um, and your religion and you mm -hmm. as how you identify. Okay. So that is a difficult question to answer because I experienced uh, romantic desires for guys mm -hmm. before I hit puberty, long before I hit puberty. Um, and yet I never connected that with an identity. So when you ask my, you ask me about, you know, uh, when did I adopt this identity? It was long after, uh, it was probably late thirties where I was actually able to say, and I'm 50, I'm 52 now. So, um, so late mid to late thirties, I was actually able to look, look at myself in the mirror and say, I'm a gay man. Um, in my twenties, I remember. And, and so, and I've always identified as a Christian since, since my middle teens. And then I became a born again, Christian in my mid twenties. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember after becoming a born again, Christian, and of course the, that really reinforced the, the, the messaging from the world and society that it is not okay for dudes to date dudes. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so it's, it's not, um, I, 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 sometimes I hesitate to use the word gay because it, I, I don't like to exclude so many of my siblings that are on the LGBTQ club and, <laughs> uh, and, and in that experience and identity, and they're all different and they're all distinct and they're all important to get right. So, um, so here I am a guy who is really attracted to guys, but, um, but my, but every message I'd ever gotten from the world said, that's not okay. That's mm -hmm. not what guys do. So I just thought, well, I mean, I want to be okay. I don't want to be not okay. So I just won't be a gay guy. Um, so I was a not gay guy that was sleeping with a lot of guys. And that somehow. I want to laugh so hard. Oh, you must. I love, <laughs> I am here for, for this journey. <laughs> Hey, well, and, and some of my, some of my, uh, LGBTQ friends don't really appreciate that. They, they kind of see that as, I don't know, either a sellout or, but really down deep, I, I just had adopted this messaging that, that number one, be, it was not okay to be gay, but number two, it was not okay to be myself in, in a lot of ways. Like I did not appreciate a lot about myself that today I've, I've learned how to appreciate. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but here I become a born again Christian in my mid twenties. And I, I had, I had that messaging was reinforced because now it's not just society and family and all these other, you know, media and all these other, um, lines of communications, but now the creator of the universe, um, is looking down their nose at me 
saying this is not okay. And so, um, so I was able to buy the message that I, that I told myself, which was for a straight guy, I, sh- I just sleep with a lot of dudes. And that was, um, uh, th- that was something I, I ended up going to, re- uh, to what they call reparative therapy, which is a form of conversion therapy, okay. uh, which is in the, in the larger spectrum of what they call SOCE, which is sexual orientation, sexual orientation change efforts. And that is a profession that largely began in the early to mid seventies when the, uh, DSM four, which is the diagnostic manual for psychologists, mm-hmm removed homosexuality as a diagnosable illness. So, and they just couldn't find, they, they, they would take a group of, of, in in this case, I'm thinking of, um, her name was Dr. Evelyn Hooker in the mid fifties, did a, uh, did one of these inkblot studies and they took a a group of very, very gay men, which was hard to find in the mid fifties, but they found, you know, these are the, these are people that are, really gay like they cannot sleep with women because they are gay men and they took a group of of randos just normal straight guys right that that aren't gay and they gave them all the psychological batteries of tests that they uh that they had available to them at the time and then they took they they removed the identities of the people mixed them all up gave them to a bunch of psychological professionals and said pick the gay ones and nobody was able to pick the gay ones and so they thought gosh this is not a psychosis. This is just a thing. So they took it out of the DSM-4. Well, what happened was all the people that would rather that I don't be gay decided they needed to take things into their own hands. And so mm. they they developed these, the sexual orientation change efforts. They they put them on steroids. They began developing more. I mean, they, that had all been around since the 1800s with shock therapy and chemical therapy and all sorts of different weird things that people did. But now it got a little bit more religiousized. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so I joined that long list of people in that movement and became and and went through. And guess what? I mean, this is I know everyone's on the edge of their seats to find out how it worked. Um, <laughs> I will tell you, for me, um, I became one of the hundred percent of the people that it doesn't work for. Mm. Um, apparently, you don't get to sit in a psychiatrist's office for an hour a week and become straight. So that apparently is the deal. Not quite how that works, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, okay. Why do you, why do you, well, I know why, right? I think we all know why you decided to give that a go. Um, When did you become, or what happened, should I say? What was the experience? What was the situation that you became super okay with who you are today? So the, I think the catalyst for that was it it started in my early Mm thirties, right around 32, 31, um, when trying to manage all the facades in my life become became unbearable. Mm. So I was trying to be, and, and this goes a lot deeper than just being a, a gay man. Um, this goes into uh, me just not liking the, the Andy that like, yeah. when I look at the, when I look at myself in the mirror, I, I, I had a degree of contempt and 
and that caused me to think, and this is none of this is going on consciously. This is all in the back room uh, of my mind, you know, and so it caused me to think that if I don't like myself, why should I expect anybody else to like myself, to like me? And so if you were among the people that liked me, I considered you either deceived or stupid. Mm. And I didn't do this overtly. Like I didn't think there's a stupid person or there's a, but I was, it was very uncomfortable for me to take a compliment as a result, okay. right? Because I knew the real me and I didn't like the real me. And so that was, that was the underlying issue. And so now I think that if you see the real me, you're not going to like the real me because mm -hmm. even I don't like the real me. So I put up all these facades. So I had a facade at work. I had a facade at, around my parents and my family. I had a facade in my volunteer gigs. I had a, a facade at church. And I, the only time I could really let it all out was when I would go down and hang out in Long Beach. Uh, I was living in LA at the time. So I'd go to, down and live and hang out with my friends, my gay friends in Long Beach, and I could be myself and do my thing. And when I, when those facades became unmanageable, I would just drink and mm. I drank and I drank and I drank. And pretty soon, um, I, I found myself in a, uh, get, getting sober and getting into a recovery program. And one of the things I, I learned as a result was, um, well, you're not straight. And if you're not going to be, if you can't figure out what to do with that, you're going to end up drinking again. And to me, there was nothing I there was nothing I wouldn't do to avoid drinking again. Uh -uh. And so it, it became survival. So I'm looking at, okay, I get it that the Bible says things, and I get it that my church pastor says things. But if I don't get on top of this and accept myself, I'm going to die. So I'll figure out the things later, and I'm going to just figure out how to how and what to do to accept myself for who I am. And I really didn't realize just how much I hated myself until about six years into this uh, mm -hmm. recovery program. Um, but uh, but but that was the catalyst. It was it was just a matter of, you know, I, I you, you talk a lot about resilience and I wish I could come in here and say that, you know, I was able to be resilient. I don't feel like I was resilient. I felt like I was hanging on by a thread and fighting for my life. I don't feel like, so I know that some people are going to say, well, yeah, that's resilience. But to me, like, that's not like this stalwart strength, strong guy. This, this is the guy who's like, I'm going to, I'm going to make decisions to keep myself alive because I'm, I need to, and then I'll figure out the consequences. And so yeah. I really think, um, and then, then a few years into this, I, I came face to face with the fact that, wow, you know, really at the under, in the underlying cause of this whole thing is I don't like myself. And I was able to start learning even from a religious standpoint and a faith standpoint today, I'm able to see the things that God appreciates about me. Mm -hmm. So that's the, to me, that's my key is to, uh, is to be able to understand what there is about me that is likable. Um, and, um, and that's where I'm at today. Gotcha. Love it. Okay. Wow. Andy, 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 Andy. <laughs> okay. All right.
what or who, let's say who, who inspired you to really, really step into the Andy that we see today? Who was it? Was it you? Was it someone else? Like who who gave you permission to to step into the Andy Wells that I'm 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 speaking with right now? Yeah. I think there the, the first person that comes to mind is the guy that told me that I I've got to uh I've got to get I've got to become okay with my with myself as as not straight. Mhm. And what he told me was after we'd had this long conversation and I had come out to him in a very roundabout way because I was very uncomfortable with that. Coming out, incidentally, is a very scary thing, even when like I've written a book about being gay. I'm on the Internet. If you search, if you Google Andy and Andy Wells and gay, I'm, my website's the first one that pops up. Mm -hmm. And yet when I come out to people today, I still there's some uneasiness in me. Yeah. Um, and I live close to what I call the the gay Mecca, you know, San Francisco, which oh, other cities would argue, right? Yeah. Other cities <laughs> would argue that, no, 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 we're the gay Mecca. But um, but here I live. Let's just say I live in a very accepting and affirming uh, geographic area. And um, and I still feel uncomfortable mm -hmm. uh, coming out. So um, so. Here I was talking to this middle-aged, straight, um, suburban house dad, and he's telling me, "Look, you know, you've you've got to figure this out." And I remember a few months later, uh, when I had shared all this thing, all these things about my sexuality with him, I was convinced that I would that he would want to run for the hills, mm -hmm. that he would never want to talk to me again. That the only reason he was still being friendly to me was that um was that uh he had to as part of his recovery program gotcha. and, okay and i remember at one point sharing with somebody else and he overheard that there was a, a while after that conversation that i that i thought that he wouldn't want to have anything to do with me and he he comes up to me and he says andy what the f he i effing love you man yeah and and so here's the first guy who I've really told every last little detail of the nooks and crannies of my my myself that I don't like every little detail, not just a couple, not just one side of it, not just the side that I think he'll be OK with, but every single little side. And rather than running from for the hills, he's you know, this it's 16 years later, we're still friends. Um, And so that was. Hey, 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 did you know I wrote a book? It's called The Value Method, Five Steps to Unlocking Your Greatest Potential. And in it, I share just that. Five wildly easy, actionable steps that will set you up to have a greater human experience daily. I've included interactive worksheets and small assignments at the end of each chapter. You're literally creating a living blueprint of your best life. Be sure to check out the show notes for the link to purchase your copy and a copy for a friend. This is the first of many experiences that I had, but probably the most thorough one that said, man, you, you're, it's okay to be you. It's yeah. okay to be yourself. It's okay to be honest about the stuff that you wish was different about yourself even, yeah. you know, 
and and it's okay to own that and embrace it and you're going to be okay gotcha gotcha now do you do you wish you were you were straight no not anymore used to yeah but i look at men you know I look at many of the aspects of me that make me myself mm-hmm. and I think about, and I think about it. What if I was straight? What if I knew I was gay and was able to accept myself when I was 16? Neither of those scenarios are appealing to me mm-hmm. because the person that I am is able to reach out and help other people because of my unique background and my life experiences and what happened to me. It all has has helped me become the person that I am today. So I don't regret there's only one thing that I would go back and whisper in my ear. And that's that's kind of like that Forrest Gump thing, you know, buy Apple, buy stock in Apple. Other than that, <laughs> other than that uh, you know, I, I think with a, you know, with a couple extra million dollars, I could I could really have some fun. But, um, you know, but even that, I mean, what what um, what would my life look like? had I not encountered the struggles, if I had been able to buy my way out of the struggles, if mm-hmm. I didn't care about the career that I was trying to hold on to, um, what, what, uh, what would be, and so there was a time that I would have, you know, given my left arm to be straight. Yeah. But, but today, uh, I, I consider my gayness, my queerness, um, as a gift from God rather than a yoke around my neck. Mm-hmm. And there's rejoicing in that. Yeah. It's beautiful. And I think, I know you said earlier, you know, coming out is scary. And even, you know, when I came out to my mom, she had already, apparently everybody knew except me. <laughs> and maybe I did know subconsciously, I just didn't know I wasn't ready to know or yeah. I didn't want to label it. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm just like, yeah, mom, I have to tell you something. And she's just like, oh, yeah, baby, I already knew. I was just waiting for you to tell me. <laughs> All right. You know, I, there's in, in my book, I wrote I, I wrote a chapter on coming out and how that's a, and And if I were to write it again, I would call it the spiritual discipline of coming out. Mm hmm. Uh, because it's a it is a spiritual discipline. Number one, it's a sacrifice, mm-hmm. um, because you're taking a risk and you're doing something scary. And I see on the on the board behind you it says, "Be brave enough to live your truth." Um, to me, doing something scary is something I owe myself because I love myself. Mm-hmm. I owe that to myself. I owe myself, and that's a sacrifice. So I owe if if I love somebody. I'm willing to sacrifice for them. I love myself. I'm willing to sacrifice for me. So in coming out, it has cost me a bit at work. It has yeah. cost me a bit socially. It's cost me a bit in certain in certain areas, but I'm willing to make that sacrifice so that I can so that I can be true to myself because I love myself. Um the spiritual discipline of coming out is th- is threefold that I discuss. Number 1, it's integrity. Mm-hmm. Integrity means that what you see is what you get. You know, I'm presenting to you the the full and true form of Andy when you when you see me. Um, and that doesn't mean we can't have tact, <laughs> but <laughs> but it doesn't mean I can't be polite. That the certain topics are you know not going to come up, but 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 you see 
what you see is is true. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I I went down the story of a of a uh dear friend and and woman who's a lesbian who was a church leader in the four square uh church for years and years and then finally realized in her mid 30s that she was lesbian and it solved a bunch of problems in her life but it 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 cost her a lot of the relationships there i mean they walked her right out of the church after she was at a church for 17 years in service and they walked her right to the curb as soon as she made that comment um or that that admission um and really a realization as soon as she had that realization she came out that's why i caught i, I think it's integrity on her part that's a great example of integrity mm -hmm. um then a, another one is the gospel you know when if you're hiding a part of yourself and you're living what we would in in christian circles call the gospel the good news that god loves you um how much how are you able to share that good news if you're not able to be honest about who you are with the person you're sharing it with mm. so it's important to the gospel the good news of of jesus as christians um and then the last one for me and then the, and and i i told my priest's coming out story which is kind of fun um how he ended up hold yeah how he ended up holding hands with his boyfriend in front of his home on the front page of the houston chronicle um as a Texas. In Houston, Houston, Texas. Yeah, that's where he was an Episcopal priest at the time. <laughs> so that so that was his story. And then my story, I, I talk about coming out as an act of love. And the way I came out to my parents was I sat them down in, in my living room and I, I told them. And the way I told them was this. I said, I, I love you and I know that you love me. I absolutely know that you love me. And I am not attracted to women. I'm attracted to guys. And I was 40 years old at this point. Okay. Yeah. So I felt like I owed them an explanation of why am I telling you this at 40 instead of 20? Mm -hmm. And so what I told them was the reason that I didn't tell you had nothing to do with whether you love me. I know you love me. I know you would love me despite anything I tell you this evening. Um, I had to get it. I had to be okay with myself mm -hmm. and I wasn't. And that's why I'm telling you at 40 and not at 20 because, yeah. I, because the problem was completely internal. Um, and so I used it as an opportunity to express to the people around me how much I love them and how much I appreciate them in my life. And how did, they used how did your parents take it. They took it well. My dad made a comment that I don't think he was sincere about, which was he said, you know, if this had if this had come 20 years earlier, it would have gone over like a lead balloon. Um, I don't believe him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, he, we joined a, an affirming church when I was a kid. Um, I left, I left that church to go and be an evangelical, mm -hmm. but the church we were a member of, uh, in Pasadena was, was performing same sex wedding ceremonies in the mid seventies. Wow. Yeah. They were very, and my dad's always been very proud yeah. of going to an affirming church that's inclusive. And in fact, you know, they, they chose that church after moving to California from Philadelphia um, because not everybody there looked like us mm. and that was important to my mom. Yeah. Really important to my mom. Um, and they, and they, they were a very activist in their, in their, um, in their expression of that diversity. So, uh, so anyway, so I don't believe my dad when he said that, but it went over well, it didn't, we, we didn't talk much about it after that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it, it went over well and, 
I've had no issues. I didn't expect to have any issues with my parents. Yeah. Like I said, I knew the, I, I was being honest. The problem was within me. It wasn't within my parents. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about, you said you left the more affirming church yep. to go a different route. Why do you th- why were you drawn that way? What do you think it was that drew you to make that decision? Uh, again, it was a time of crisis in my life. And I was um, I had applied for a position as a volunteer at the sheriff's department. Mm-hmm. It involved a background investigation um, in the background investigation. They asked a bunch of questions, which I was honest about. And, uh, in my early twenties, I had gone to see a bunch of prostitutes and apparently they don't like people who enforce the law to also be breaking the law. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it was very hard for me though, because we have so much shame and uh, around sex in our culture. Right. So, mm-hmm. So that one, I mean, I almost would have rather, there's a few things that I would rather not have to admit than going to see prostitutes uh, in my early 20s, at least at the time. I mean, now, obviously, it's not really that hard to talk about, but um, I'm, I'm glad, but, you know, things like, I don't know, smoking marijuana would have been easier to explain, I think. Mm -hmm. But um, so I was ashamed. I was I was hit in the gut uh, because I thought, you know, I hear I want a, a, a career in public safety and public service, and I've just failed a background investigation that could keep me out uh, of that. And the cat's out of the bag, and I can't go back and, and decide to lie about it now because the cat's out of the bag. Yeah. So, uh, so a friend of mine was a really over the top, born again Christian, had always been very vocal about it. This guy and I, we had so much in common. It wasn't even funny. I mean, it was, it was like, okay. Um, he was twenty years older than me, still is. Uh, <laughs> his his dad was in the fire service. My family's in the fire service. He was a cop. I wanted to be a. I was looking at that as an option for my career. Um, we both played trumpet in high school. We were both drum majors of our high school bands. We went to high school right next to each other. Um, right in, in neighboring high schools. Um, we, we both worked at the same boy scout camp on mm-hmm. staff. We both, uh, we, his birthday was on my, uh, the same day as my brother's birthday. Wow. He, so it was just, it felt it like was it was like, meant to be. Yeah. yeah. It was like, we had a lot to talk about. Um, he had been in my, my mom was a parent education teacher at the local community college. And, and this guy and his wife had been, um, had been stu- in, in that participants in my mom's class. So they, they loved my mom and my mom loved them. And so it was, and, and I, I had met this guy when I was running the scout camp. Uh, he brought a troop, a, a boy scout troop over mm-hmm. and with, with, that his nephew was in. So, so that's how we got to know each other. And, and so when the, uh, fit was hitting the Shan as as one of my uh, favorite people will say. <laughs> <laughs> I called this guy and he picked me up in his in his detective car and we went down uh, to the Rose Bowl and sat and talked and he he talked uh, to me about what it was like to trust Jesus for every depart for every decision you'll ever have to make and um, trust God to to see you through everything and and that was exactly what I needed 
Mm-hmm. And so then once I, once I had accepted God in a, in a real personal way and not, um, and not in a way that was just limited to ritual, which mm-hmm. I felt like, I felt like the Episcopal church I was raised in was, was limited. That was limited to ritual. Um, and that's not an accurate way to describe them, but that's the way I felt like. Gotcha. So I went across the freeway to a conservative church that was non-affirming. I didn't consider myself gay at the time because because gay is bad and I don't want to be bad. Mm-hmm. So uh, so so I ended up in an environment and I ended up thriving and doing very well there. Uh, and that's yeah. where I went and got my degree after that. And and so I wanted to be part of the team. And so I towed the line and and I legitimately at the time, I legitimately did not want to be gay. Mm. that's how I ended up in a non-affirming environment. So, so do you believe that some people are born gay? Do you believe that it is 110% a choice or is it complicated? Yeah. Because it's definitely complicated. So rather than giving you a direct answer to that question, Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you a story. (laughs) Um, the, the guy that wrote the forward to my book, his name's, uh, Mike Rosebush. And he was, I, I met him doing some writing on uh, medium.com mm-hmm. and he also does writing on medium.com. And Mike, uh, was involved in Exodus international, which is the largest, um, was the largest organized ex gay movement in the Christian church. And it folded in 2012, I think, around 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 2012, because mm-hmm. the 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 current president of the then current president of Exodus said it had never worked for anybody and never would, and so, um, and and so they they closed their doors with an apology, um, and this guy basically sealed his fate with all of those organizations, both secular and religious, when he went to a conference. And he was going to talk about his new, because he's a PhD in counseling. So he was going to talk about his new program on how to counsel people who were dealing with what they called same-sex attractions. Mm-hmm. And he got up and he said, look, it, all these people are packed into the room to see what great things he was doing with the people he was counseling. And he said, well, I need to, I, 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 we need to get two facts on the table before we go, go into my techniques. Um, fact number one, I'm assuming we all know that we all, we can all agree that nobody knows what makes somebody homosexual. Mm-hmm. Let's just agree on that. Well, that went over like a fart in church because, <laughs> because everybody in that room believed that somebody is not straight because they had a strained relationship with a parental figure. Mm. That's what it had to believe. be some type of, a uh, broken link somewhere exactly calls such a okay and then we can fix that so mm-hmm. so this idea of like almost reparenting or rebirthing or re whatevering um if i know what makes a thing a thing i can i can go back and undo it that's the mm-hmm. that's the the assumption in a lot of these reparative and change effort uh efforts Hey, 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 if you're enjoying this content, do not forget to rate and review. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, be sure to rate and review. It helps us reach more people in more ways. Now, let's get back to some resilience. 
So he said that that didn't go over well. And the next thing he said was, and we know that conversion therapy doesn't work and that nobody, it doesn't make anybody straight. And so that was when he basically one, two punched himself right out of that entire industry (laughs) because he lost his position at focus on the family. Um, He was a vice president at focus on the family, um, which was, was the large, one of the most politically powerful Christian organizations in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I mean, other than the Catholic church, probably the most uh, politically powerful, especially in the nineties when, when Mike was a part of them. And, you know, Mike is gay. Mike didn't realize he was gay until his until his mid 30s. He was an Air Force officer. He was a fighter pilot in the Air Force and an Air Force Academy graduate. And he had a wife and kids and he loved his wife and he loved his kids. And he still does his he's a widower. And now he's married to a guy because his wife passed away um, and he remained faithful to her his entire uh, through his entire relationship, through Mm -hmm. the ups and downs of all of that. Uh, But but basically, yeah, we don't know what makes people gay. LGBTQ. We don't know what the quote unquote cause is. Mm-hmm. We, I don't, I can't tell you if somebody is born gay, straight, LGBTQ, any of the, any of the, uh, you know, uh, various ways that we manifest our identities and our orientations. Um, and gender identity is completely different from sexual orientation mm-hmm. and as, as just a way to shout out to my, to my, um, uh, you know, uh, gender uh queer and trans and uh you know non-binary f- uh friends and siblings um you know I, I'm not going to conflate uh one and the other but we just don't know and yeah. is it really that important I don't think it is I think if you are brave enough to live in your truth then yeah. that's that should be all that matters um yep. your relationship with whoever you have relationship with is something that you have to navigate, you know? Um, I lived for so long, not even, I wouldn't even say that long, but I lived a good part of my younger life into my like mid teens, trying to make everyone else around me feel comfortable why I, while I felt like crap, you know, that sucked, didn't it? And that's, and that's something (laughs) that it seems like I'm so, I'm so excited for where we are now. Um, because we're raising the youth and the young people to really be, to love who they are, you know, and show up authentically. I wasn't necessarily afforded that opportunity and um, I think as we grow as um, a society, we start to see more of that. And we build a little more empathy um, and a little more understanding that I'm here to have a, a greater human experience as we all should be, you know, and, you know, being a member of this community or that community, that doesn't mean that you're a bad person or you're going to hell, you know, is <laughs> it's, it's just a, a wonderful paradox of being, being okay with yeah. who you are. So the, the idea, one of the challenges I think LGBTQ people have, have been overcoming over the mm-hmm. last couple of decades 
And Harvey Milk started this idea that and Harvey Milk said, uh, if if ev- if all the gay people were to come out right now, there would be no homophobia. Because you'd realize that your friend Bill and your your aunt Betty and your friend, you know, and, and all these people in your life who you have great respect for and great love for and they love you back. Well, they're LGBTQ mm-hmm. and they're not monsters. Yeah. But in the in the 60s and the 50s and the 70s, these people were painted as monsters and mm-hmm. nobody had any evidence to the contrary. So we lived in constant fear. And they, in fact, gay, you know, gay men were were painted as as uh, portrayed as pedophiles. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, newsflash, guys, um, I after having worked for several years in the Boy Scouts, I will tell you this. You do not need to worry so, uh, about gay men and your kids as much as you need to worry about straight men with your kids. I'm glad I mean, just... that you, I'm glad <laughs> that you touched on that, because I remember a few uh, several years ago when there was um, a big to do about um, non-gendered restrooms. Yeah. And everyone, everybody said, you know, everybody's going to guys are going to dress up as women so they can go in a bathroom with our our little girls but you're negating the fact that they've been in the restrooms with your little boys this entire time. Yep. You know, yeah. so you're you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. I you know, we we um and and it's not to say that that there's not some what do they call it when you have a diagnosable issue um there's not some issues in the gay community and, mm-hmm. and not some things that I would I would look at and go, yeah, that's one of the aspects I could, you know, I could do without. Sure, of course. But when. But in the Bible. It's very it there's there's places in the Bible that make that people use to characterize LGBTQ people. And when you read the description you have to think, and and for all of you Bible thumpers out there, I'm thinking Romans 1, 26 through 32. Um, and when you read the list of the things that, that, that you think that that applies to um, LGBTQ people, I, I would challenge you to find anybody in your life that meets one of those things versus mm-hmm. any of those things. And one of those things in that list is that um, they deserve death. And are you really willing to say, you know, that that's that that's the truth that you want to live today? Um, I look at the the contributions that LGBTQ people have made to our society. And, you know, I, I don't see the things in that list in most people that I've that I know in general, let alone LGBTQ people. Mm-hmm. So now that you know. So now that you know that uh, all these people that don't meet up with that list in the Bible, I'm not saying the Bible's wrong. I'm saying the interpretation of the Bible and the application of the Bible in that particular area is incorrect. So we have a faulty translation and poor interpretation that lead us to this conclusion about uh, somebody's identity as an LGBTQ person. And that causes a lot of problems. And let me bring this home. Uh, the Trevor Project, uh, I think it was the Trevor Project that did a, a study a couple years ago. They found that if if an LGBTQ youth has uh, no one in their family that will 
that is supportive of them in that identity, they are eight times more likely to attempt self-harm. Now think about it, attempt it, than an LGBTQ youth who does not, uh, who does have, who has at least one affirming supportive adult in their life. Mm -hmm. Eight times. So my message to people who are parents and friends, show your support and let it be, and let somebody else tell your kid they're going to hell. Uh, I, you may believe it. Let someone else communicate that. Save your kid's life and, and because they can't choose Jesus in 10 years if they're not around. Mm-hmm. So eight times, guys, it's just a number. It's a number that says that if I'm a parent and my kid comes to me and says, dad, mom, I want to share you, with you about myself recognize how scary it was for them to come to that conversation, Mm. especially with you and your beliefs and they know your beliefs. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is, there are two things you say, I'm maybe make this really easy for everybody. You, you only need to do say two things. Thing number one is thank you for trusting me enough to share this with me. I, I know it it must've been scary. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is I love you. Not, I love you, even though, not, I love you, but Mm -hmm. I love you. And no, I love you, period. And I want to challenge the parents and the friends out there, because if you can't say, I love you, period, to your kid, the problem's not your kid. I love you. There are. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, okay. you go. <laughs> so, so I'm connected with a group of, of parents called the Real Mama Bears. Mm-hmm. The Real Mama Bears is 35,000 moms sharing their stories with each other. Um, it was started by a woman who didn't have the words when her son came out the way that she does today. And she has spent the rest of her adult life making up for that. And she founded this group called the Real Mama Bears. Another mom, and that was Liz Dyer. Um, and so that's realmamabears.org if you if you want to uh, go there. Um, a lot of Christian moms in that group, not not a Christian organization per se. It's a support organization. And then the other organization that kind of came out of that in concert uh, was started by Sarah Cunningham called Free Mom Hugs. And together what they do, and now Free Mom Hugs is over 10,000 moms. Yeah. And and they and they now out of that free dad hugs. And they go to like pride festivals and mm-hmm. they and and give hugs. They do stand-ins at weddings. If your if your parents aren't going to be there, we'll stand in for them. We're not going to take their place. We'll stand in. And and the minute they say we're coming, we're going to step out. Mm-hmm. But the uh um but this idea that that of making the world a better place for LGBTQ people to 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 feel welcome and loved, because Sarah didn't react well when her son came out. And she's had a lot to work through as a result of that. But um, and both of their sons are still around and their relationships are are patched up and all that. But, you know, both of these women, years later, they tell their story a lot mm-hmm. and they still have to pause and not cry yeah. when they talk about how they failed as parents with their kids. I immediately went to um, a very, very popular movie, um, Lifetime movie. Prayers for Bobby. Yeah. Um, that movie. Oh my gosh. That was um uh gosh, who was the 
Uh, Sigourney oh, Weaver. Sigourney Weaver, yeah, played the mom. She did an amazing job. She did a phenomenal. I hated her. Yeah. <laughs> I did. Um, in the beginning of that movie. Yep. And and I then I had to take a step back, and then try to. I'll never understand how how someone can disown their child. You know. Um, but I had to try to try, at least try to understand what it was like in her shoes and, yeah. and how that, that decision that she made um, and the decision that she made time and time again led to losing her child yep. and living with that for the rest of her life. Well, for the folks that would disagree with with my take on this and i understand why you would and i understand why you would believe the bible over some guy named andy um the prayers for bobby was a true story mm -hmm. and it happened in the city i live in um and uh that the the mom in that story that sigourney weaver played did what the church said she ought to do the mom is an atheist today. So one of my professors at Biola, extremely sharp man, um, uh, J.P. Moreland, has written a lot of books on philosophy of religion and and uh, and, and just a, a, a big contributor to the world of thought mm -hmm. in, as it per pertains to Christianity. He made a statement, if, if you're not a Christian, then why don't you try it for a year? Why don't you just try being a Christian for a year? If it doesn't work, if your life doesn't get better, you can always just quit. And so this idea, and I, I contacted him when I was writing the, when I was writing my book, because I, I just wanted to make sure that I was getting it right. Yeah. You know, I wanted to make sure he would stand behind that. And, and he did. And I said, look, so what you're saying is, if it's true, it ought to work. Now, this mm -hmm. is different from saying, look, it works. So it, the claims it makes ought to be true. Mm -hmm. That's different. But if it's true, it ought to work. Well, Christianity's approach to being gay, LGBTQ, doesn't work. And so the approach is not based on truth, basically, is, is my point. I want to bring this around to something that, that everybody can kind of get into. Because mm -hmm. not everybody's a Christian and not everybody's LGBTQ, although I think we all know people that are struggling with that, mm -hmm. whether we realize it or not. Um, and I want to talk about what I came to realize about a year after I wrote the book and got it out there. I came to realize what the book was really about, because the book isn't about it's OK to be gay. The book is about whether or not you believe it's OK to be gay. How do you move forward and grow as a person? Um, and so as a Christian person, how does church fit into your life and how, how should it, how ought it, um, as a person who for myself struggled with self-esteem, I mean, all, all the stuff that I was talking about early in our conversation, I was talking about not liking myself, that's self-esteem. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I define self-esteem a little differently than some people do. Uh, this idea of self-value and self-worth to me some of what I consider an unfortunate reality of the self-esteem movement um, is that everybody gets a trophy. Mm. To me, 
somebody with high self-esteem doesn't need a trophy. If I am comfortable with my self-worth and myself as a person, I don't need the recognition that I'm a good, a good and valuable person. I know it already. Mm-hmm. I can let you win and not feel bad about it. Yeah. And that's, that's huge. So how do I get there? Funny thing. Um, I learned you esteem others. Mm-hmm. You allow other people to be more important than yourself and you go and you serve and you, you become a contributor rather than being a king of the hill. You just become a contributor. You become yeah. the person that's willing to sweep the floors if that's what needs to be done that day. And you don't look for recognition in those areas. Um, and, and so, you know, when I started, uh, it, it revolutionized the way I looked at things like giving at mm-hmm. my church, I would walk in the door and just look up at the lights, the lights would be on. Wow. Okay. I helped keep the lights on here. Yeah. Pretty simple, right? I'm not the savior of the church that that position has been taken. So, uh, so my encouragement to people is get, there's an issue in your life that there might be, there might be an issue in your life that's keeping you from figuring out where you can contribute to the world around you. And you figure I've got to, I've got to get over this hill first and then I can do the thing that I was meant to do. I say, forget it. Forget the thing that you need to get over before you can go out and be a contributor to society. Just go start contributing. Everything else will fall into place. Mm. I love that. Just That's go my out. message. Just go out. Just go do. Yeah. Th- then when you look at yourself in the mirror and the voices, if you if, if your head is anything like mine, and it might not be, <laughs> that's great. But, uh, but, you know, sometimes the voices say, Andy, you suck. Okay. And I can look in the mirror and go, nope, you know what? I have it on good authority. I have a list of here of things of why I don't suck. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I got some issues and here they are. And I'm okay with those issues. But here's the reason, here's the things that aren't issues that are, that where, that are plus points that are, yeah. that are assets for the world, not just for me, but for the world around me, that the world's a better place because I showed up as Andy today. And I think once you start really having a grip on how you can contribute to the world and you and you and you know it you can confidently step forward as a decent person with a few flaws rather than stepping back as a flawed person who would rather anyone no one else know yeah and that's really my aim in writing the book that's really what i wanted to share with people um and so I said it in there. I don't, it doesn't matter if you think that being gay is a sin against God or not, you're going to get something out of this book. And that's, that was important to me. I love that. And I, and I concur with your statement um, because my motto from the very, very, very beginning, when I started this work five, six years ago was that um, the goal was to leave this world better than I found it starting with myself. Nice. You start, start home first. Because if you're not good here, can't be good for anybody else around you. So you you pour into yourself, make sure your picture is full so you can then go out into the world and pour into other people. Yep. Love and it. and so think about that because it, I'm and I'm I'm thinking, yes, and yes, yes and to that, not right? this or how I fill my picture. So how I put now there's different ways to fill the picture, right? But the way I fill the picture is going out into the world and serving others. Mm-hmm. That's how I fill my picture. And then and then I'm able to 
and and so it's it's this cycle and if you take anything out of the cycle the cycle doesn't work mm -hmm. so if i'm not out in the world contributing i'm not going to be a whole person yeah i feel so, you on that one absolutely i feel like my service is what i am supposed to be doing like that is my calling to be yeah. of service and to to spread kindness to be a, a change agent so absolutely andy how can we find you um on social media on the internet so on the internet uh you can find me by going to tried to be straight.com and um, if you forget that and you can remember my name, all you have to do is Google Andy Wells at a gay and I'll it'll pop right up there. Gotcha. On YouTube, I have a channel that I'm I I try to get stuff on the YouTube, but it's yeah. you know, I um uh I, I'm not a a super duper content creator, but I've I've got a few shorts on there that are kind of fun. Um mm -hmm. and so that's tried to be straight, the name of my channel on YouTube. Um Instagram, same thing. Tried to be straight, one word. Let's see. I've 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 kind of dipped my toe into the TikTok world, but now everyone's calling that evil. So I don't I don't know whether <laughs> I'm going to keep going there or not. But uh, but yeah, tried to be straight.com has has everything. And then on on Amazon, you can pick the book up on Amazon. Um, also, if you want your local bookseller to carry it and and get it through there instead of. Um, lining the pockets of jeff bezos um it's it's available through ingram which uh which is the uh one of the biggest uh well it's it's the big uh supplier of books to uh, independent booksellers so you can get it through ingram love it love it love it well andy thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and sharing your insight on a subject that people usually shy away from um, you you've been able to to show up authentically and speak on your life experiences and what you know to be true and that is commendable within itself um, I acknowledge your journey and what it took for you to get here and I look forward to seeing what the future has in store for you Thanks, Aaron. It's been great. I, this has been a fantastic conversation, and um, I look forward to uh, uh, to our next our, our next one. Absolutely. Before I let you go, I have one final question. You ready? Sure. Yes. What does resilience? I know we talked about it a little bit, but what does resilience mean to you? Resilience is taking the next indicated step to ensure that you that you get through the day mm. whatever that step is so it's not getting to the top of the mountain it's taking a step toward the top of the mountain minute by minute minute by minute step by step one step at a time um that is resilience and you get knocked down and you take a step you take a step back you get you get you know you start going and that to me that's resilience love it love it literally resilience in action it's the doing I love it. Andy, thank you so much. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, be sure to rate and review. And remember, resilience and action will always lead to a greater human experience.